and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Alex Webb. So, time to make all things copacetic. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to episode 4 of series 9 of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. And my oh my, what has happened to January? Well, as always, if you like what you hear, do let a friend know and make sure you subscribe. Also, check out the useful show notes for extra links and info. Plus, most importantly, a special link to buy me a coffee and keep me going through these dark days. Now, we are almost sold out, but there are still a handful of general admission tickets at just £17.50, a veritable bargain, to see the Tony Kofi Quintet playing the awesome music of Cannonball Adderley on the 12th of February here in Watford. Uh, And we will come back to this gig a little later. Plus, as if I need to remind you, but our full May 2022 festival lineup has been announced and tickets are on sale now for Sri Shiram, Nigel, Archipelago, Jelly Cleaver, Tomorrow's Warriors, Joe Harrop, John Etheridge. So many great acts. Uh, So get amongst it and buy your tickets at wofordjazzjunction.com. Now, to business. Today, I am joined by a musician whose professional life began in Manchester across jazz, pop and reggae, a prodigious collaborator, a jazz narrator, a composer, a pianist, a BBC radio jazz expert and also a bit of a political journalist back in the day, I've discovered. Musician and all-round super-talented bright guy, it can only be Alex Webb. Alex, hello, how are you? I'm great, good morning. I never knew up to all that, will I? <laughs> yeah, the pressure of the intro, it's like, Ooh, who's that? <laughs> So where do I find you in the world? Where are you talking to me from? Well, from my home in Harrow, in my little office, where I've got uh, keyboards behind me, some recording software, full of uh, books and junk and all the stuff. It's a man cave, I guess. So uh, it's a box room of a terraced (laughs) house, but I've squeezed myself in. Yeah, Harrow, well, that's only just down the road from sunny Watford. When did you end up there? Because you you come from Manchester, right? No, I actually come from the home counties. I went to Manchester ah. to go to university and I stayed on and, and worked there at the venue, the Band on the Wall, which is a venerable place. In fact, it was venerable back then. And it's still it's extra venerable now and it's reopening in March. Uh, and if you're ever in Manchester, it's a great, uh, really great venue. But uh, no, I've been in Harrow a, a long time. And funnily enough, there's quite a few musicians here. Courtney Pine lives here, Gary Crosby. And there, you know, there's a number of them uh, around the place. I don't, it's, it's just, I think it's because it's on the tube to London. You know, you can get in to do, to do the gig. I think that's just about uh, the uh, attraction. I mean, it, it's it's all right, Harrow, but it's no Watford, Alex. But I, <laughs> I respect the mighty musical triumvirate that is Alex Webb, Courtney Pine, and uh, the lovely Gary Crosby. Uh, super cool. And I'm doing my very best to drag all of you up up the line a little bit, a couple of miles to come and hang out here mm-hmm. as and when we can fit things in. So you say you grew up in the home counties. What's your story? Were you always going to be a musician? Uh, no, um, I grew up in a town called Berkhamstead, which is a was a very sleepy commuter town. Now it's become quite chic. Mm. I was always interested in music and uh, strangely enough, got into jazz as a teenager at a time when it wasn't popular at all. Mm. It wasn't even cool in any way at all. Um, but an interesting thing happened. So this is end of the seventies. That at a local pub, a young guitarist called Martin Taylor started a residency with wow. Peter Ind on bass, 
and Joe, Johnny Richardson on drums playing absolutely world-class bebop jazz every Friday for free. So me and my friends used to go down there and listen to this amazing jazz. And I think, looking back, what an extraordinary gift that was. You know, Peter Wayne's no longer with us, but that was a guy, I remember talking to him as a teenager, to a man who'd gone to see Charlie Parker and, you know, played with Bob Powell and all that kind of thing. And he's, in fact, he's responsible for the second coolest retort I've ever heard, which is, I asked him if he'd ever seen Charlie Parker. And he said, I saw Charlie Parker with strings at Carnegie Hall. And I said, what was it like? He said, yeah, a bit ropey. Second night was good. I always thought that was a wonderful talk. It's only the second <laughs> coolest retort because, of course, the first one is George Harrison. If you must be in a rock band, it may as well be the Beatles, which I guess is the sort of hands-down winner. Oh, that's super cool. I've got my own little one, basically, which makes me look a complete fool. Um, and I think I might mention it on the podcast before, but I was I was uh, at a Herbie Hancock gig at the Barbican, and uh, this very tall chap sat next to me, and I sort of recognised him half, but I wasn't really focused on him, and I just said, oh, have you ever heard Herbie p- before? And he looked at me, and it was Gary Bartz, and he went, dude, we're in the, we're in the same band together with, with Miles. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my God, what a yeah. Muppet. But yes, yeah. I love these things. But uh, yeah. I think George Harrison wins hands down. If you're going to be in yeah, a band, yeah. it might as well be the Beatles. <laughs> Too cool for school. Um, yeah. So what? So you then got into piano, thanks to uh, sort of Martin Taylor, and you got into the whole jazz vibe, and the 80s became a playground. Yeah, well, what happened, actually, I, I should say, you know, I did the classic, uh, I suppose, middle-class thing. My parents made me go to piano lessons, which I hated on principle. Now, I went up to grade five. I wish I'd carried of on, course. of course. But by that time, I remember, funnily enough, my dad showed me a boogie blues on the piano because he'd been, in younger life, he'd been a bit of a sort of pub piano player, knew loads of musical songs and stuff. And he showed me Honky Tonk Train Blues, Midlux Lewis, on the piano. And it sort of, I just said, wait, wait a minute. So this thing could be fun. You know, it was one of those things. And so I started teaching myself blues piano and then, you know, listening to jazz and all that kind of found a couple of like-minded friends at school, went out to Manchester to uni, studied politics, um, but started going to the Band on the Wall and other jazz clubs up there. And then amazingly enough, uh, got got a job at the Band on the Wall as soon as I came out of uni and spent the next few years uh, there, you know, which is, and I, I was just lucky enough to catch the end of a period when loads of great musicians from the 30s and 40s were still active, you know, so we'd have, you know, Sonny Stitt and Red Rodney and I, I can't remember them, like Teddy Edwards, all these guys who'd been around the bebop era would be coming through the club. We had Art Blake and Jazz Messengers, in fact, in 86. So, so you know, I mean, it was really amazing to, to see all those guys and to meet them and realise oh, they're human, you know. You. But that, that was before selfies. I've got very little evidence of this apart from knowing that I met them. <laughs> Yeah, and, and people didn't do that. I always made a point of you you weren't going to take your picture. You weren't going to be a goon like that. You know, you just you just talk to them and stuff. If they wanted to talk, that's fine. But you weren't going to say, you know, do you remember that record in 1953? You know, because they get all that, that all the time. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, the worst thing to do uh, to, to a musician is talk about their, their sort of albums and things. So tell me about your new album, Alex. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> British Standard Time. No, I'm joking. But you've got a new album out talking about such things. Um, yeah, I have. It is called British Standard Time, and there's 15 tracks on it. So it's a bumper album, if ever I saw one. Mm. And it features the d- delightful talents of Joe Harrop and Luca Manning, friends of this podcast, no less, uh, plus Carol Thompson and Tony Monrell. Yeah. I mean, wow, that's a, that's a pretty 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 cool quartet. What, what What's the story? Well, the story is... Um... In fact, this this show, uh, I created the show for Joe Harrop when we used to do a lot of live work together back before the pandemic, if you can remember that far back. I think that one of the things I've been struck with as um, as a working musician is 
you know, there's there's so many of us out there <clears throat> chasing the same gigs and stuff. How are we going to differentiate ourselves? I mean, uh, hopefully you differentiate, mm. so, differentiate yourself by being very good. But um, there's also that if you can, if a show can have an identity, you know, now I, Joe is such, was and is such an amazing singer. And I'm glad to say she's now making it on her own terms. But yeah. I wanted to find a concept which was a bit sexier from the promoter's point of view. And, it, and, that, and I'm not the first person to have thought of this, but no one was doing it at the time. All British composers. And then I think the thing that I brought to that was not just from the jazz era, but right up to the present day. So you take all the great songs that have ever been written in this country, from Ray Noble back in the 30s, right up to jazz version of uh, Human by uh, Rag and Bone Man, for example, which works really well. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the thing. It was already out there gigging and stuff. And then when the pandemic hit, and uh, out, of the, out of his the kindness of his heart, Mike Patel of the Hampstead Jazz Club uh, offered to finance an album on this concept. He'd already worked with Tony Monrell. I knew Tony, but I mean, he got Tony on the gig. We got Carol involved and I found Luca. And then we, we basically, we shared out these tunes in a way that I thought would be interesting for, you know, the arrangements would suit these different singers. I mean, everyone just took to it like a duck to water, had a great band in the studio, a female rhythm section mm. of Sophie Alloway and Flo Moore, who are really amazing musicians, uh, Tony Kofi, Leo Richardson, Nathaniel Cross and Andy Davis in the horns producer Jamie McCready and uh, we pulled it together it wasn't easy in the pandemic um, the studio had a flood we had to work in lots of other places put it together on a few <laughs> different occasions but it so somehow came together and uh, yeah it says a lot on it I've, I've got this idea actually perhaps it comes from having been a pop fan before as a jazz fan I love the idea you know those 60s albums where they've got 14 tracks you know and if you don't like one there'll be another long one long in a minute you know it's just that flip, kind of thing just flip so we got yeah, 15 yeah, yeah. actually as it happens on the song just stuff but it's all jazz it's all acoustic jazz arrangements swinging stuff which which i love you know and i think it comes off and we were jazz uh jazz fm album of the week last week uh i hope that uh, they'll be beating a path to my door but who knows <laughs> yeah i I'm, I'm not surprised it was jazz fm album of the week last week just because there really is a veritable smorgasbord of, of delights. And I don't think it is one of those albums where you're just going to flip to the next tune because almost every one holds you because every time it starts, it's a, it's a different voice. And I know they've all got two or three tracks each, um, mm. or even more, three or four each. Mm. Uh, but it really works. I don't know. Of wet appetites for me. You've got a lullaby of Birdland, You Do Something to Me, Give Me the Night, Try a Little Tenderness. They're not just jazz standards. They're crossing so many genres, you know, R&B and rock and easy listening and obviously straight ahead jazz. And all of it comes across with um, a, a proper energy that seems somehow consistent. And I can't believe that you recorded them all back to back. So to have had that continuity throughout the whole thing is amazing. H how much of that do you feel is down to the amazing set of musicians you had in support? Well, a, a lot of it. Um, uh, but I think that I think it's also the arranging, you know, just to blow my own trumpet for a bit, uh, trying to find trying to find a way of cr cr creating a kind of cohesive sound, uh, which comes obviously from the lineup but it'll, and, and the, the flavor that the musicians bring to it. But you also have to think about how, what you're going to ask them to do. Just here's a little aside. Uh, you know, there's, sure. a, there's that thing you get a lot of it on YouTube called the global jukebox thing where. Uh, groups of jazz musicians get together and they do something so daft like they do the Sex Pistols like it was a 20s jazz number or something like that and and often they do it very well and the part of the appeal is the incongruity of it um, you know you kind of can't quite believe they're doing that you know 
But what I was doing was trying to do something else, which is I was trying to make it sound like Give Me the Night, which um, was written for George Benson or the or the, you know, um, the Rag and Bone Man track or whatever. I was trying to make it sound like they actually were jazz tracks in the first place that maybe later on got covered by pop musicians, you know. And I think that's what it should feel like. Even U2's, um, you know, uh, still haven't found what I'm looking for. We give it a milesy flavor. And it just it sounds like it was always supposed to be like that. You know, that's what I believe anyway. So I'm hoping that that maybe helps give it the coherence that you talk about. Yeah. And it's uh, Joe that does uh, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, isn't it? And she has such a mm. sort of crossover voice herself that can go right from blues through to through to rock and all the jazz that, that you hear in between. And it's really interesting to hear about what you were trying to achieve, though, with that. Maybe these were jazz standards first. It's very clever. Probably should say something about the U2, U2 song because some wise guy's going to call in. Two of two of the four members of U2 are actually born in England. People don't know Oh, that. I see what you mean. So they are British. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think they get they just get under the wire from the point of view of the, of the song. Yeah. <laughs> that exactly. It's it's it, we've ticked all the boxes, and uh, indeed, both of our listeners will be saved from writing <laughs> in uh, to to question that point. Um, so thinking about it, you say, well, you're Nathaniel Cross, Jamie McCready, Sophie Alleyway. I mean, this is a a younger set of musicians uh, teaming up there with you. You've been around the Daz block for a while, if you don't mind me saying. Sure. What is your take on the UK jazz scene right now? Do you find cause for great optimism? Do you look forward to these new collaborations? I, I think that, uh, I think it's very good. I think the standard of musicianship is is scary. I mean, it's so high um, and that's good. Right, I, think, right. I, think, I think there's a lot of amazing talent out there. Um, so that's all healthy. But uh, you know what? I think it probably always was. I think what I'm aware of, having been around the block, and I, you know, I'm, I'm no spring chicken, is, is that the media interest kind of goes in cycles. You know, I mean, I can remember uh, in the mid '80s the whole Courtney Pine thing. You know, which is like massive. I mean, and I think probably Courtney, you know, is, mm. is a great guy. He probably would say now that he probably wasn't quite ready for it himself you know um but um and then you get these waves up and down and it of course it happened a few years ago it happened back in the early part of the century with the jamie cullum thing and it subsided and it come, came back with a sort of london jazz scene thing um and yes. what's really happening if you if you look at the actual scene it kind of carries on it's much like it was previously it's just that that you know suddenly you get some articles in the paper about that's that's really the difference so i, I so i'm slightly skeptical about some of the hype but I mean, the fact is that the musicianship and the creativity is still uh, at a, and, and always is at a very high level. What what is new, uh, not completely new, but I mean, it, again, these things are cyclical. But what a lot of those younger musicians have done have re, they've reconnected with the dance feel and the nightclub crowd, and that's always. You know, in a way, you know, what George Benson and the Crusaders and what have you were doing in the 70s, which I can actually remember, you know, um, kind of getting across the disco crowd, you know. So what you hope from that is, first of all, it's there's some great music in doing that. And secondly, you might bring people over to, if you like, the purer or the more hardcore end of jazz as well. We'll, we'll see. You know, I mean, I, I, I think that when you're on the ground, you know, what you tend to be more aware of is, you know, just the... Uh, if you like to scramble for, for enough work to actually have a living, you know, and I think I suspect that that's true of, of all the young cats as well. You know, I mean, it, it isn't easy out there in spite of the, the press attention that they're getting. Uh, so I, it'll be interesting no. to see who, who perseveres. But yeah, it's always good and, and it's good right now. 
I mean, I'll just, you know, one of the young cats on the album is Nathaniel Cross, you know, and I've uh, worked with Nathaniel for some years and really heard him develop. And he's a really nice guy and he's, he's a good arranger, composer. He's got a great EP out recently. And that solo he does on my album is an absolute stonker, you know. Um, so he really shows his chops. And, uh, yeah, he's one to watch. No, absolutely. And, I, I, and I'm interested, really, really interested in what you're saying, that the young musicians who are managing to connect with a dance or a club vibe, etc., it's easy to forget that the jazz can be really relevant. Mm. Uh, and you hear it in pop music and you hear it across all the, all the genres. And I personally think it can often be a mistake to sort of somehow retreat backwards that, that what has been is sacrosanct and that the music therefore doesn't develop and move forwards and with it find new audiences. Well, here's a thought on the relevance thing. Um, I think that one of the things, you, in fact, you just sort of mentioned it. One of the things I think jazz people underestimated with a younger generation of listeners is how important the place is. You know, a lot of uh, younger music fans who might well yeah. be into jazz, they don't actually want to go to a club like the 606 or the Vortex. That, that thing of sitting down at a table, having a meal while you're listening, that's not how they listen to music. They want to go to a place that feels cool, that this, that belong, they feel belongs yeah. to them. And, and that actually is just as important as the music, I think, for many people. So what, what I think some of the younger musicians have successfully done in the, you know, the steam down people and stuff, they've taken the music to a place where a young audience feels relaxed and feels at home. And, and that's, that's the bridge. It wasn't, it, you know, it, in some ways just as important as what they were playing. Um, so I think that's a really good thing. But the other thing about relevance, I think relevance is kind of whatever you want it to be. One of the things that's happened, and it's happened in the US in the last 10 years or so, is the kind of Kansas Smithies thing, which is quite extraordinary to me that a whole load of really young, younger yeah. musicians have, have chosen to work in a field of music, which is actually pre-bebop. It's like the swing thing, um, which is, you know, even their parents probably weren't alive then. Do you know what I mean? It's like really going back now to sort of 80 or 90 years ago. They've just felt that that's a music that, that speaks to them in some way. And if the music speaks to you, it's relevant. You know, it's, it, it doesn't matter. You know, there's not a kind of formula for this. If, if I think, you know, I might go home and think, put on Beethoven and, you know, think tonight that's relevant to me. You know, it's, it's a sort of, you know, I think that, that the relevant thing is uh, very, very elastic, actually. There might be a, a logic to it in as much as, one of the things about the swing era was that it was kind of the last time when jazz and popular music were really linked together, you know, and uh, it, jazz was the dance music of the period and jazz, yes. the, the, and, and the music was based on the pop songs of the period, you know, to, to a greater extent than later. Um, and bebop sort of broke that and, and then it became self-consciously modern music for listening. Um, I mean, that's a simplification of it, but that's roughly what happened. So there's a there's a weird way in which the Kansas, Kansas Smithies end of thing is also a bit like Steam Down. You know, it's also about music that's um, easy to grasp and easy to 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 tap tap your foot to, and and you know the accessibility of it, and presented to you by young cats from your own generation. You know, so I, I mean, it's all very interesting how that's going on. It's paradoxical. If yeah, like. I mean, that's one of the drivers for the for the festival here in Watford that we're we're trying to put on not just a variety of styles and jazz, but in a variety of places. So you're going to hear Sultan Stevenson with Mark Kavuma in a nightclub where, you know, normally jazz is, is just not on the menu. And they're really excited by it. And I hope that will be a space and place where younger people, not to be patronising, but will feel comfortable right through to the sort of local pub of, of a different audience, as well as the, the more sort of provincial yeah. theatre, etc. 
So I cannot now leave unmentioned your upcoming gig here mm. in Watford. Mm. Um, you're bringing, uh, very excitingly, uh, Tony Kofi uh, and uh, his quintet, of which you are a member, uh, to the Watford Pump House Theatre here on the 12th of February. And you're playing the music of Cannibal Adderley. Well, first of all, I look forward to any playing, any playing I do with Tony Kofi, you know, uh, because the guy is a giant his, of his instrument. Uh, he plays in lots of settings. He's always brilliant. He's on he's on my album. He, he's someone that uh, he also did a previous album that I recorded with David McCalmont. He's someone you can give eight bars to, uh, in in you know in a very tight arrangement. He'll make those eight bars count. He can also play you know five long choruses, six long choruses, and make that count. But that's that that talent of compression. Not everyone has that. It's I, I call it the Mike Brecker thing, you know, the, the great Mike Brecker. He could have eight bars on a Paul Simon album or something, and it's eight bars of sheer beauty, you know, he, uh, with just playing a few notes, you know, and then he can do his whole mm. modal Coltrane thing as well. It's um, so so. I just want to mention that about Tony, you know. But I mean, so the Cannibal Ladley thing. The thing about Cannibal, fun enough, it, it leads on very nicely from what we've just been saying. Cannibal was um, an astonishingly sophisticated bebop musician that. He played what well, he played on the mm. alto. No one has ever surpassed it uh, in terms of, of technical mastery or the harmonic complexity of what he does. But he also came out of blues and gospel and he understood the whole business about connecting with an audience. And that's where the tunes, the work songs and Mercy, Mercy Me's and all that stuff comes from. And he, as you know, he used to talk to the audience and kind of preach the jazz gospel to them. And um, he, some of his albums were either live or sometimes he'd get an audience in the studio and they'd have a drink and they'd create that live buzz in the studio. Um, and he was all about communication. He wanted the music to belong to the people as well, and not just the musicians and not just the critics. And so that's, that's a thing that uh, I certainly believe, I know Tony does. Um, and uh, so we want to bring that spirit to this where we, we're really um, communicating the music with the, the, the vibrancy and the groove of it. And that people who have any feeling for music should be able to get into that. Some of the music, of course, uh, is out and out bebop with, you know, which the tempos can be a little bit scary and stuff. Then the next thing we'll do will be a real down home blues or something with that feeling. Uh, so there's always a connection point with the audience. And the tunes are great. I mean, Cannibal wrote good tunes. Nat Adley wrote good tunes. His British piano player, uh, Victor Feldman, wrote amazing tunes. We did a few of those. Um, and uh, Zavanel, of course, um, who wrote, who, who really kind of, you know, wrote, wrote some of the great uh, soul jazz tunes, that well-known African-American Joe Zavanel from Vienna, Austria, <laughs> you know, who, who went on to found Weather Report. Um, and, uh, you know, but he, he really got it, you know, uh, uh, and uh, really sort of helped uh, Cannibal with that bridge to that kind of music. Um, so it's a wonderful repertoire to play and it's a great band and we we uh, have done it a lot now and we really feel that we're inside this music and we can really bring it to life and I hope that uh, people will feel that when they come to see us on the 12th of February so yeah if you haven't got your ticket as I said there are still a handful available but move quickly kids move quickly okay it is time now for Alex Webb's Hard Choices Super 7 Quiz Alex Webb are you ready? go on then hit me Okay, question one. Bill Evans, Bill Bruford, or Bill Lee Strayhorn? Uh, well, Strayhorn, yes. Uh, Bruford's a great musician, um, but uh, sure. Strayhorn was something else. Most amazing arranger. 
Yeah, I did a show of um, Stray Hunter's music some years ago for the London Jazz Festival and really got into trying to understand his arranging and his composing. Uh, real one-off. And a, and a lovely guy, actually. A really interesting person. balls. Good answer. But, Fluffy, you're going to lose a point for that. Question two. <laughs> double bass or electric bass or tuba? Uh, well, it's got to be double bass, although I have a lot of respect for tuba players. Uh, I don't know how they do it. Right. A question three for all those uh, musicians you may have worked with. Singer, sax or trumpet? Well, I will. Uh, what I will do is I'll be faithful to the lot of work that I've done with vocalists and say the, the singer always has the extra thing that they, they're telling a story, literally telling a story with words. So that's an extra ingredient yeah, to what yeah. they do. A very, that's a very tough question, though. Um, an unfair one, if I may say. It's a mean question, I know. I know. Okay, question four, which which must be about the halfway point. Uh, grand piano, all the keyboards and synths, or just any old honky tonk Joanna? Um, honky tonk Joanna. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of piano players will say this. A piano has to be pretty bad before you'd rather play a keyboard. It's something to, for our music. I'm not saying if, if I was uh, playing a rock band or funk band, it'd be different. But if for our music... Uh, something it's it's to do with the actual action and connection with the instrument it has never quite been reproduced although keyboards are much better than they used to be they're not too honky tonk i suppose i would hope but uh yeah i'll take i'll take a middling piano let's say we'll come back to this this question alex once you played the piano here in uh in watford <laughs> in, a, in a couple of weeks right question five a pint of best a glass of rioca or a nice cup of bovril well i'm not a bovril man but uh, this is an interesting one i i love good ale but I'm also interested in wine. But I think that I could I could probably Ooh. live without wine, but I, I don't know if I could live without really good uh, English beer. I'm talking about, you know, properly cellared ale from a from a pub. You know, uh, that's, some, that's an important thing for me. Yeah, so I'll go for the bitter. Nice. You're getting bonus points all, all along <laughs> now, Alex. You're, you're on a roll. Question six, what I can only describe as the penultimate question. Uh, newspaper, online news... Or social media titbits. Right, uh, newspaper, and I still buy a newspaper on a Saturday. That's my little treat because I prefer reading from paper than to read on a screen. Uh, so I read books. I don't read a Kindle, and w- at least once a week I'll read a paper. I read, still read some magazines and things. So yeah, it has to be. I mean, that's very much my generation. I know because I teach, uh, you know, younger. Uh, people, none of them read newspapers. None of them buy news. They don't, don't know what they are, you know. So I know I'm out on a limb here, but that, I'm, st- I'm sticking with it. Oh no, that's a fair answer, right? Question seven, uh, which is the final question, and now features my new favourite thing, which is, who is your favourite almost web? Is it Karl Maria von Weber, Anton Webern, Ben Webster, John Webster? the Jacobean playwright of Duchess and Balfi fame, or children's perennial favourite, Charlotte's Web. <laughs> well, I'm surprised you've missed out Harry Webb, which is Cliff Richard, or uh, also uh, Captain Webb, I think, who was the first person to swim the channel. But they're straight webs. They're oh, all straight okay. webs. These are almost webs. <laughs> okay, the almost webs. Oh, that, in that case, I will take uh, the composer Webern, who I think is, is difficult to listen to, but I'm sure he was onto something. Absolutely, and I'm sure chimes with a lot of other musicians. Very good answer. Right, I've tallied up your score. I just need to add on to Vaben. You have got 31 out of 35. 
Uh, you did drop a couple of marks, as I said at the beginning, because it, was a little, it wasn't hesitation, but you, 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 you talked <laughs> around it. Um, but that's very good. And it does put you top of Alex Webb's Hard Choices Super 7 quiz. And you are top of the leaderboard. You should be proud. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Um, right. My set question. Thinking about a musical career, where does the energy to keep composing, creating and playing need to come from? Do you feel it's something that's deep within or are you dependent on the external world? And I was sort of thinking, mm. I kind of think Mozart was always going to write what Mozart was going to write, almost irrelevant to what was going on around. But then I was thinking like someone like Bob Dylan, I kind of think his entire catalogue would have been very different where society had been different around him. I'm interested in, you know, you are a musician and, and, and where that drive comes from for you. Uh, that's a good question. Um well, it has, it has to be something internal. I mean, you wouldn't put yourself through this <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm currently preparing to take a, a jazz theatre show to New York in June. Uh, it's a show that's done, uh, run, theatre runs in London called Cafe Society Swing. Um, and it's, it's about 90, 90-odd percent certain we are going to take it to New York in June. Um, to do so, I'm already rewriting the script and having to write new material and arrangements. So one of the things that happens yeah. is writing to order. And I found that this is something that I'm actually good at. If you say to me, you know, I need a song that says this in this style, I can probably come up with something. Mm. Um, and that's, a, and I enjoy that, that task actually. So there's sometimes there's a very specific external stimulus, which is actually, you know, directing you to do something. The other one is, is like the, the, um, more like the inspirational thing. The other night I watched a documentary about a great, singer-songwriter who's not so well-known in this country called Jacques Brel, uh, who was uh, who sang in French, who's actually Belgian and died in the 70s, but one of the great lyricists and songwriters of certainly of the last century. And just hearing some of his yeah. stuff again, I thought, wow, I've really got to get back and finish some of those songs I never finished, you know. Um, and so, and then there's other times when um, it's something spe specific, like, uh, you know, you set yourself jobs like, there's a great Sonny Rollins record called The Freedom Suite. And uh, he, he did it yeah. with, uh, it was just saxophone, bass and drums. Now, I've, I've always thought that would work really well with a small horn section to actually bring that to life. So that's something that's in my in my back pocket as a little job I'd like to do. So there's a direct musical thing, a sort of challenge thrown down by Sonny Rollins. He doesn't realize it, of course, <laughs> but that I would like to pick that up one day. So there's all kinds of things like that. So it's, it, you've got to have something inside, but there's always stuff coming at you. And I think the other thing is there's a bit of the just wants to wants to prove something. You know, I want I want people to say, oh, I heard that song of yours and it was really good. You know, I mean, we all need a bit of appreciation, whether it's for something we cooked last night or or whatever. Do you know what I mean? We all need a bit of that. Um, and uh, so that that can help you, you know, either striving for it or receiving it. That can be important. Yeah. Well, that's an excellent answer. And because I'm all heart, Alex, I'm going to give you the missing four points, which gives you the full 35 out of 35. <laughs> and as listeners will know, it's rare Woo! that I that I give extra points. But there you are. You're you're 100 percent. You're you're on perfection. Um, now with this added, you're a gem. Uh, well, what can you say? Um, with this added pressure now of of, of uh, ensuring the perfection carries on, um, it's top three album time. Which which albums do you go back to again and again? Okay, well, you know, th this is the impossible question, but I've I've I'm going to answer it because you've got to say something. Um, 
I would have to say uh, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder oh, is a sort of desert choice. island album. I, I, I was young, very young when it came out, but it, it turned me on to soul music, and it's, it's absolutely one of the greatest pop records ever made. It's one of the greatest musical collections of any kind anyone's ever come up with. Stevie Wonder at the top of his game is as good as it gets. Uh, then I would choose something from the golden period of jazz, if you like, from the 30s to the 60s, in my humble opinion. And that would probably be something like uh, Miles Ahead, the album that Miles Davis made with Gil Evans, because I love uh, Gil Evans' arranging, and of course I love Miles, and that's those two guys at the top of their game. And, and again, an album that you can listen to, if I listen to it tomorrow, I would still hear new things in it. It's it's that good. Yeah, go on. Okay, the sake of the, the work that I've done in the vocal jazz tradition, and this is difficult because it would be easy to choose a Billy record, because that really introduced me to, to vocal mm. jazz, but I'm going to take a double album called The Audience with Betty Carter, which is her live in San Francisco in about 79, I think it is. And that is a sort of, when it comes to the singer with piano bass drums, you know, the classic lineup, that is the, that's the Old Testament. That's how you do it. You know, that's Betty at the top of her game, uh, who's a woman that I really admire, by the way, in so many ways. And I was lucky enough to meet and interview her in 91, I think it was. And uh, but that is you know that is a great rhythm section and everything and that 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 album I mean if, if anyone out there is interested in you know like how do you do vocal jazz well pick up a copy of the the audience with Betty Carter and you won't be sorry. This is fantastic. So obviously we won't have had that 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 triple play before. I think we well, we've definitely had Stevie Wonder. I think we've had Miles Ahead as well. Uh, but we've never had uh, Betty Carter's or the audience with Betty Carter. So that's brilliant. Something new and something exciting. And I think they're very nicely balanced. So well done. So keep Betty in mind. It is time to sort our house band. Some say, and indeed I do every week, that it's the most eclectic and extraordinary fantasy band in podcast show business. We have got Bill Evans on the piano, Mark Juliana on the drum kit, Charles Mingus on the bass. Alex Garnett on tenor, Joe Templey on bass saxophone, John Hassel on trumpet, Mark Nightingale on trombone. Woof. And then we have Norma Winston, Carmen McRae and Betty Carter on vocals with Dorothy Ashby doing delightful things on the harp. So 11 players in total. Now your task, Alex Webb, is to remove one musician if you fancy, because everyone needs a break and some of those guys are exhausted. Uh, But if you do, to bring in a new player in their stead, and they can be from any point in jazz or indeed musical history. Who should you like to swap and why? I would say, uh, who's your, remind me, who's your tenor sax player? A a new chap from Ronnie Scott's called Alex Garnett. Oh, oh, Alex, okay. Okay, well, I don't want to take Alex out because it's good to have a British guy in there. What an amazing band. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very, what I like about it is there's so many schools of music in that. Um, I don't want to take away the harpist because that's too obvious. Um, So I think that what I would do is take away Mark Nightingale only because uh, the instrument I'm going to put in, it has a similar range. And I would put in um, Johnny Carisi on French horn, who's the guy that played French horn on the birth of the cool band with Miles Davis. And that would give a cool sound to the band uh, because of the kind of that round sound the French horn has and take away a bit of the percussiveness of the trombone. And uh, that might give it a different cast for the next arranger to come along and have a think about how he's going to arrange those sounds. Oh, sweet jazz lords above. That is our first French hornist in the band. Very, very, very exciting. So, yeah, Johnny Caracy. Brilliant. 
Alex, you played a blinder there and I did not see that coming. So moreover, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Um, how can we keep up to date with your work? Is there a website? What concerts have you got coming up? We need to know. Yep. Uh, Alex Webb Songwriter. That's one word. Alex Webb Songwriter and Webb has two Bs. Yeah. AlexWebbSongwriter.com. That's right. Nice and simple. And if you go there, it'll say what I'm up to. And there'll be a little uh, menu saying upcoming shows. And then, then you can find everything that I'm doing. And uh, yeah, please come along. Um, you know, all over town and out of town too. And uh, particularly now, you know, when people have been scared off because of COVID, I think now we're hopefully plateauing and people can start coming back to shows as they will do in February, I know. Um, so let's let's get back in there. I know there's a hunger for live music because mm. we've seen it, um, you know, when we do things. And uh, let's get this show back on the road. And uh, British Standard Time is available on all good platforms and to order yeah it's uh it's actually uh it's on all the platforms uh, digital and physical uh if you want to buy a copy uh if you have a record shop it ought to be there but there aren't many of those left uh Bandcamp is a great no. place to buy things but of course it's on amazon um and uh yeah and the spotify and uh you know you you name it every, every way we, you, we can get it but we'd love you to buy a copy because you'll get a better sound and you get lovely liner notes and if you ever find me, I'll happily sign it for you. And so will anyone else on the album, by the way. Nice. And I heartily recommend it. Uh, it it's a very much a feel-good album. Right. If you have liked what you've listened to, subscribe, as I say, so you don't miss any of these valuable episodes. If you want to know more about the Watford Jazz Junction, check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or follow us on our various social media. Uh, or you can always email me at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com. Next time, we are in conversation with the director of the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, Mark Armstrong. But until then, it is goodbye, lovely listener. It is goodbye, the lovely Alex. Goodbye. Lovely talking to you, Chris. And you. A real pleasure. And stay safe, and always remember to connect with something new. Bye. Bye.